Well, good morning to all of you. Good to see you this morning. Beautiful sunny morning. Uh, good, to, good to see you. If you have a Bible, please turn to the book of Luke, chapter 23. We're right at the end of chapter 3. I've been preaching through uh, the book of Luke. We're now right at the end of chapter 23. Jesus uh, has just been crucified. He has just died on the cross And um, we are now picking it up in Luke 23, starting in verse 50, and we'll read all the way through the end of the chapter, Luke 23, starting in verse 50. Let's pray before we read. Well, Father, we just just freely acknowledge this morning that we are are sinners in and of ourselves. Um, Lord, we, we know we have violated your holy law in many, many different ways. We we are all sinners, and, and, and yet, Father, we, we come this morning celebrating the good news that Jesus Christ died for the ungodly, as your Bible says. We just thank you that uh, Jesus didn't come to die for good people, but for sinners like us. And we just rejoice in, in that gospel, in that good news message this morning. And uh, Lord, it's just in light of that, in light of what you have done for us, that we now just turn and open up your word and ask that you would teach us. Uh, We believe that you're a good God, you're a loving God. We believe you have given us uh, this word in order that we might be taught. And we just ask for your help this morning that you would send your Holy Spirit across this room and open our eyes and ears and open our hearts. And Lord, just help us to receive uh, just great things from your word today. We do thank you for it now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, who had not consented to the council's decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. And then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Amen. In the, in the multiple Academy Award winning movie, The Princess Bride, <laughs> and you laugh, <laughs> okay, maybe not uh, Academy Award winning, but still a, a good movie, and in The Princess Bride, Wesley, the main character, he was taken at one point uh, as a prisoner into a secret lab called the Pit of Despair. And Wesley then appeared to be tortured to death. But Wesley's body was then taken by his friends, Fezzik and Inigo Montoya, who was constantly searching for the six-fingered man. Fezzik and Inigo Montoya took Wesley's body to a man named Miracle Max, a.k.a. Billy Crystal. And Max, after lifting and dropping Wesley's arm and pushing on his chest, said, it just so happens that your friend here is only mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. With all dead, well, with all dead, there's usually only one thing you can do. Go through his clothes and look for loose change. And that was great news. Wesley was not all dead. He was just mostly dead. And Miracle Max then brought Wesley back to full strength. And you know, when it comes to the death of Jesus, some people in history have claimed that Jesus was kind of like Wesley. He wasn't all dead on the cross, just mostly dead. They, they didn't believe that it was possible for Jesus to 
die and then to actually rise again from the dead. So they came up with another explanation for how Jesus, after hanging on the cross, could then be seen alive by so many people. And they claimed that Jesus must have just fainted on the cross. He had just become unconscious. He had just appeared to die on the cross and then he later revived in the tomb. If you're familiar with that, it's now called the swoon theory, that Jesus just swooned on the cross and he then revived in the tomb. But according to the Bible, Jesus was not in fact just mostly dead on the cross. He was all dead. All of the gospel writers in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they all go to great lengths in their books to show that Jesus was all dead. A lifeless corpse. And that's what Luke is doing here in this passage. Luke is showing us here that Jesus was truly dead. A real lifeless corpse here. Dead and buried. And in this passage where, where Luke is highlighting the very real death of Jesus, we, we see a few disciples of Jesus, some, some very loyal disciples of Jesus, caring very faithfully and affectionately for his corpse. And the first disciple here who cares for Jesus' body is a man named Joseph. Luke says there in verse 50 that Joseph was from the Jewish town of Arimathea. Most scholars think that Arimathea was a small town, maybe 15 to 20 miles north of Jerusalem. That was uh, Joseph's hometown. But it seems that Joseph had now moved down to Jerusalem because he has a tomb near Jerusalem in which Jesus will soon be buried. And Luke says there in verse 50 that Joseph was also a member of the council. He was a member of the Sanhedrin, which was located in Jerusalem. The, the Sanhedrin council, um, which, which uh, Joseph was a part of, the Sanhedrin council was comprised of the 71 most prominent Jewish leaders in Israel at the time. It was the council that had just recently condemned Jesus to death and dragged Jesus to Pilate. Joseph was a part of that council. So Joseph was probably uh, living in Arimathea, moved to Jerusalem. He moved from the sticks down to the big city, uh, Podunk, Iowa, to, to the Big Apple. And Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven tells us that Joseph was a rich man, and he was also a disciple of Jesus. You can find it in Matthew twenty-seven fifty-seven. A disciple of. Jesus. Joseph is one example in the Bible of a wealthy disciple, a wealthy believer or, or Christian. You know, it, it is frequently, it's frequently the poor of this earth who become disciples of Jesus. God has just ordained it to work like that. James 2.5 says that God has chosen the poor of this earth to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom of God. But you listen, that doesn't mean that God never brings wealthy people into his kingdom. He does. It's not easy for a rich person to enter the kingdom. It's not easy for a wealthy person to be saved. Jesus said in Luke 18 that it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. It's not easy for a rich person to be saved and enter the kingdom of God. Rich people just don't have needs or they don't feel their needs as much as poor people in this world do. Uh, but God does at times bring wealthy people into the kingdom of God. And that's good news for us Americans because 99.9% .9 of us are the wealthy of this world. And God does bring some wealthy people into the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus in Luke 19 was one example of a wealthy disciple. And Joseph here from Arimathea is another example of a wealthy disciple. But it seems that Joseph up to this point in his life, he was not a very public disciple of Jesus. John 19.38 says that Joseph was a disciple secretly for fear of the Jews. 
And it makes sense when you think about it. Joseph was part of this Jewish religious council that had just condemned Jesus and dragged Jesus before Pilate. They were hostile, for the most part, towards Jesus Christ. And Joseph was probably fearful of these people, these hostile Jewish religious leaders, like some Christians living in hostile countries today, maybe. They're genuine followers of Christ, and yet they are afraid of the hostile people in their area, so they follow Christ a little bit more secretly. You know, in some parts of the world right now, Christians do what is called secret church, They meet for gatherings like this, not in the middle of the day, but in the middle of the night. And they have no lights on when they meet. And they worship God very, very quietly because they're in a hostile area and they are fearful to some degree of the hostility in their area. So that might have been Joseph here. But you know, even though Joseph was a secret disciple, this guy was still living his life with integrity. Luke says in verse 50 that Joseph was a good man. A righteous man, and he had not consented to the council's decision and actions when they condemned Jesus. When the Sanhedrin had condemned Jesus to, to die and drag Jesus before Pilate, Joseph did not approve of their actions, Luke says. Now, we don't know how Joseph didn't approve. He could have been a silent dissenter, uh, but he was a dissenter, not approving of the actions of the, the Sanhedrin council when they condemned Jesus. But it seems that Joseph who up to this point in his life has lived out his discipleship in relative secrecy, it appears that Joseph now decides to risk it all and go public with his allegiance to Christ. If you look at verse 52 again, this man now went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Man, you just stop and think about this. That was... An incredibly courageous thing for this man, Joseph, to do. You you think about what Joseph, uh, what this probably cost Joseph. It, It probably cost Joseph his reputation with the other Jewish religious leaders. You know, this act here of going to Pilate, asking for the body of Jesus, that act right there would have connected Joseph clearly with Jesus. It would have been very obvious, and this Jesus was a man that his religious buddies had just condemned to die. You know, you think Joseph going to Pilate here could have cost him his entire religious career. This, this also, this act here also cost Joseph a lot of money. Fine linen burial clothes that he got for Jesus' body. His own expensive tomb that he's going to put Jesus in. And man, you think about this, this could have easily also cost Joseph his life. Joseph is going to Pilate, the top Roman in the land of Israel at the time, and Pilate was the one who just had Jesus crucified. It would have been nothing here for Pilate to turn around and crucify a follower of Jesus, or at least put him in prison. This could have cost Joseph everything here. An incredibly bold act from this previously secret disciple. But I think Joseph recognizes here that this is his moment. His faith in Christ, it's been a personal faith in Christ. But I think Joseph recognizes here that that it can no longer remain a personal and private faith in Jesus. He recognizes this is his moment. It is time for him to step up. It is time for him to seize the moment and go public about his allegiance to Christ. So Mark 15 says that Joseph took courage and he went to Pilate. And listen, every, every single disciple of Jesus in this room this morning, if you are a follower of Christ, you will also have to take courage at times. Step up, seize your moment, and make your faith public. Your faith in Christ might be a personal faith, but your faith in Christ cannot forever remain a private faith. 
Jesus will give you lots of opportunities as his disciple to make your faith public. Lots of opportunities to identify yourself with Jesus. Lots of opportunities for you to to declare the gospel of Jesus in different ways. And you just have to take courage by the grace of God. Seize your opportunity. Seize your moment. Step into the moment and identify with Christ and declare the gospel of Christ when he gives you those moments. It might cost you. It might cost you to declare your allegiance to Christ. It might cost you to proclaim the gospel of Christ. It may not cost you your life here in America, but it might cost you some reputation. It might cost you a promotion. It might cost you a friend to connect yourself publicly with Christ and declare the gospel of Christ. But Jesus, listen, he's called all of his disciples to be ambassadors for him, and ambassadors don't live in the secret their entire life. Jesus calls us, man, he calls all of the disciples of his to count the cost and go public. Letting go of our lives, losing some reputation, maybe losing a promotion, losing a friend, maybe, in order to publicly declare the beauties of Christ and to declare our allegiance to Christ. And man, the disciples who do that in this life, uh, Jesus will reward them richly. John tw- or Luke 12, 8, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will ag- acknowledge them before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men, Jesus says, will be denied before the angels of God. Man, Joseph, I, I think Joseph was terrified, Probably. Risking everything here. But man, he sees it. This is his moment. And he takes courage by the grace of God. He seizes the moment. He goes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus. And Mark 15 says that Pilate was surprised to hear from Joseph that Jesus was already dead. You know, people back then, when they were crucified, they could sometimes live on the cross for a couple of days. They could live for so long on the cross that the Romans would often come by and break their legs just below the kneecaps. So the crucified people could no longer push themselves up to take a breath on the cross, and they would suffocate. John 19 says that in this case, with Jesus and the two criminals beside him, John 19 says the Romans had earlier broken the legs of the two criminals crucified next to Jesus. But when they got to Jesus, he was already dead. So they didn't break the legs of Jesus. Because of his intense sufferings before his crucifixion, most likely Jesus only lived for a couple of hours on the cross. And Pilate is surprised to hear from Joseph that Jesus is already dead. So Mark 15 says that Pilate then sent a Roman centurion to check. A Roman centurion was a head of of a hundred Roman soldiers. This Roman centurion goes to check. The centurion saw that Jesus was dead. And just to make sure, John 19 says that some Roman soldiers then drove a spear through the torso of Jesus and blood and water gushed out. Medical experts say that the intense suffering that Jesus endured prior to death probably caused watery-like fluids to gather around his heart and lungs. If you are medically inclined, that is pericardial pleural effusion, and when the spear pierced his side and also probably pierced his heart and his lungs, blood and water poured out of his side a sign of certain death. Mark 15 says the centurion then went back and told Pilate that Jesus was indeed dead, and Pilate then released the body of Jesus. Pilate probably didn't care what happened to the body of Jesus at this point. 
didn't care. And Joseph was a religious leader. Surely Joseph would treat the body with respect. So Pilate releases the body to Joseph. And Luke says in verse 53 that, that Joseph then took the body of Jesus down, wrapped it in a linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb cut in stone. And you just picture it. I mean, you can read over that really quickly and kind of miss it. Picture this. Picture this. Picture yourself getting the body of Jesus down here. Picture it. Crowd of people probably still milling around these three crosses, just, just gawking at these three mangled bodies, gory, bloody, broken legs of the two criminals, just gawking at these people. And Joseph, now this well-known religious leader, still maybe in his religious garb, he approaches the cross of Jesus. According to, to Jewish ceremonial law, uh, it, it, for him to actually touch a dead body would have made him ritually unclean. And here he is approaching the cross of Jesus. He probably put something on the ground on which to stand. This was probably a 10-foot cross. Joseph then probably slowly climbed up right next to Jesus' very, very gory and bloody and, and, and almost unrecognizable body. Removed the spike first from his feet, most likely. And removed the spike from one wrist. Removed the spike from another wrist. Carefully laid the limp body upon his shoulder. And then climbed back down. You can picture the blood on Joseph most likely as he climbs down and he slowly then lowers this corpse to the ground. John 19 says that Nicodemus, another religious leader, was there helping Joseph. Nicodemus also brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes And then they both bound the body of Jesus with the spices in a linen shroud, a a burial garment of sorts. And Luke says Joseph then laid the body of Jesus in a tomb cut in stone. A tomb probably cut into a rock or a a cliff or the side of a hill just tunneled in a cave-like structure with a low door so you could enter. John 19 says that the tomb was located near the crucifixion site in a garden. Matthew 27 says that it was Joseph's own tomb. And Luke says right there in verse 53 that it was a tomb in which no one had ever yet been laid. When Jesus entered Jerusalem before his death, he rode on a colt on which no one had ever sat. And Jesus is now buried in a tomb in which no one had ever been laid. And Matthew 27 says that after Joseph laid the body in the tomb, he rolled a stone in front of the entrance and Joseph then left. Heading home, most likely, to grieve, to mourn. Probably shocked that Jesus truly died. Going home now to mourn this Jesus that he was probably secretly following for quite some time. And now he has just publicly declared to be a disciple of Jesus with his actions right here. And man, you think about Joseph's actions here. You know, with, the, with this, this very careful and, and costly way that this man has now cared for the corpse of Jesus, man, I think we can see there a very, a very obvious love and affection for Jesus. An act right there that probably cost this man quite a bit, and yet he, he, he does it, demonstrating openly, I think, a really deep love for Christ in the way he cared for the body of Christ. We, we don't have any idea how this religious leader came to love Jesus, but I think it's pretty clear that Joseph really did love Jesus Christ. He didn't just trust in Christ in a superficial sort of way, but he really did love Jesus. And you know that is one of the marks of a true disciple You don't just believe in Jesus in a superficial sort of way, but you have fallen in love with Jesus. You've recognized that Jesus loves you. 
He died for you on the cross. You've received his love for you. And yes, you trust in him, but you've fallen in love with him. That is Christianity. That's what it is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's to be a lover of Jesus. And I think you can clearly see that here in this man, Joseph. A deep, deep love for Jesus. Wanting to follow and obey Jesus in spite of the cost. And man, you think about Jesus now in this tomb. Man, Jesus has now received a burial fit for a king. He has received a burial fit for a king. You know, victims of crucifixions back in Israel, when, when they were, the people were dead, they were, they were typically just thrown into a common pit. A crucifixion was a disgraceful death. And you got a disgraceful burial to go with it. They just tossed you into a common pit. But man, God the Father arranged things providentially here in just the right way so that Jesus, even though he was just falsely condemned as a criminal and crucified between two criminals, he's not buried as a criminal. but He's buried as a king. Jesus has his own tomb here. You know, the Jewish people back then, the ones who were actually buried in tombs, well, they were often buried, almost always buried with other bodies, multiple bodies in a single tomb. But Jesus has his own tomb here, and it's not a poor tomb. (laughs) This is a rich man's tomb, probably a very nice tomb. You know, the richest the richest casket in the world today, looked it up this week. It is supposedly the Malaysian 14 karat gold casket on display now in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia. A casket worth an estimated $217,000. And I purchased it this week. <laughs> that is a lot of money for a dead body, man. Oh my word, just give me the 217000 now and you can just put me in the ground. I don't need a casket. Man, we have no way, we have no way of knowing how much Jesus' tomb here was, was worth. But listen, it wasn't a poor man's tomb. No, Jesus was born in a poor stable. He lived a very poor life. But he was now buried in a wealthy tomb. And do you know that that right there, it fulfilled an Old Testament prophecy in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 53, 9, something written well before Jesus was ever born. Isaiah prophesied about the future Messiah that people would one day make his grave with a rich man. And there he is, Jesus, the Messiah, buried in a rich man's tomb, buried in honor, the burial of a king. And do you see what's, what's, what's happening here? God the Father has already begun to vindicate Jesus. God the Father has already begun to, to exalt Jesus, even in his death. You know, Jesus, when he came to earth, he went through a massive humiliation from heaven to earth, and then on earth, lowered himself to the point of death on a cross, massive humiliation. But the second he died, God the Father began to exalt him. And here he is, even in a tomb, beginning to be vindicated, exalted by God. And please listen, man, that body, that body that was buried there, that thing was definitely a dead body. Not just an unconscious body, but a dead body. Dead as a doornail, as we might say. A lifeless corpse. Listen, the Roman soldiers back then, the Romans in general, they knew how to kill a man. They knew how to do it. They did it all the time. They were expert executioners. And listen, the Romans, they knew when a man was dead. They knew the difference between a silly little faint and a death. And they didn't confuse those things. If a bunch of Roman soldiers said Jesus was dead, here, 2,000 years ago, a bunch of Roman soldiers said Jesus was dead thrusting a spear in his side, seeing the blood and water. If a Roman centurion then examined the body, 
and reported back to Pilate that Jesus was dead. Now listen, a Roman centurion would not report back to Pilate that Jesus was dead unless Jesus was really dead. Because the Roman centurion's life would be on the line if he reported falsely to Pilate. They made sure Jesus was dead. And if Pilate then released the body from the cross, man, that body was a dead body. Not mostly dead. No, it was all dead. And do you realize that the people who claim that Jesus just fainted somehow on the cross, they're basically saying that the Romans were fools. All of them unable to tell the difference between a silly little faint and a death. And the Romans were not fools, especially when it came to crucifixions and death. Man, there is no way on God's green earth that these Romans, experts in execution, would have allowed Jesus to be taken down from the cross if he wasn't actually dead. This was a dead body. So that's Joseph. That's, that's, that's one disciple here who, who cared for the corpse of Jesus. And Luke then tells us here about a group of women disciples who also cared for the corpse. Luke says there in verse 54 that this was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The Sabbath in Israel back then, it started at sunset on Friday evening and it ran all the way through sunset on Saturday evening and the Sabbath was now beginning on Friday evening. Jesus died around 3 p.m. on Friday, Good Friday And when Joseph finally laid Jesus in the tomb, it was maybe around five or six, who knows, approaching sunset, just before the Sabbath began. And look now at verse 55. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath they rested according to to the commandment. So we now see this group of women disciples from up north in Galilee. They followed Jesus from the start. Luke talked about some of these women back in Luke chapter 8. And here in the previous passage, right before this one, Luke said that these women were at the cross when Jesus died. They were probably there weeping. Imagine they were in absolute shock that Jesus had truly died. Matthew and Mark tell us that several women were there at the cross. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of James and John, a woman named Salome, a group of faithful female disciples with Jesus to the bitter end at the cross. Man, that's incredible. you got to love that. All of the closest male disciples of Jesus have hightailed it from the cross. Mark tells us that they have all fled, but the women are hanging tough here. They're with Jesus to the bitter end at the cross, and now they see this man removing his body from the cross. And I, I would imagine these women were a little stunned. To see this religious leader doing it? A religious leader from from the council that was just screaming for Jesus' death? These, These women probably didn't know that Joseph was a secret disciple of Jesus. These women maybe didn't even know Joseph, period. And they see him now taking the body of Jesus down. And they follow Joseph. These are some brave women, probably following at a distance, a little fearful, I'd imagine. And Luke says they saw the tomb, and they saw how the body of Jesus was laid in the tomb. They then left to prepare spices and ointments before the Sabbath began, and they then rested on the Sabbath, grieving, I'm sure, just like Joseph. And after the Sabbath, on Sunday... In the passage that we'll look at next here in the book of Luke, after the Sabbath, these women will bring these spices and ointments back to the tomb. You know, Joseph, Joseph, when he got the body down and initially kind of uh, wrapped it up, anointed it for, for burial, he was probably in a rush to get it done before the Sabbath. 
And, and these women here may have felt that the body had not been prepared adequately for burial. The, the Jews back then, they, they didn't embalm bodies, so they would anoint bodies very carefully with a very special mixture of spices to kind of calm down the stench of the decomposing body. Joseph here probably didn't have time to do it adequately, and the women could tell. So these women here will head back to the tomb to do it properly. <laughs> and listen, you, you leave a man to do a job like that, <laughs> to, to, to carefully anoint and, and wrap uh, a dead body with a special mixture of, of spices, uh, you're probably going to have to redo it. <laughs> That's just the way it is. If you leave it for me, uh, you're probably going to have to do it. I hear the word spices, and my, my brain says, I like cinnamon. Uh, that, that'd look good on Jesus right here. Put a little cinnamon. How about paprika? <laughs> That's a cool word. Let's put that in there. And you're going to have to redo the whole thing. And uh, these women here are going to have to uh, redo what Joseph, I think, had to do in a rush. And, and when you think about these, these women disciples here, now when you, when you think about them, how they cared for the corpse of Jesus... Like Joseph, the way they, they affectionately cared for the corpse of, of Jesus, staying with the corpse from the cross all the way to the tomb, in spite of their fear, preparing spices for, for the corpse, returning later to anoint the corpse once again. Just like with Joseph, in their care for the body of Jesus, I think we can see a very clear love and affection for Jesus. They didn't just have a superficial type of faith in Jesus, but they had a deep love for Jesus. Once again, another mark of true discipleship. Disciples love Jesus. They've received his love, and they love him back. So you kind of look at that whole passage there, and man, Luke, here in that passage, has, has, he's given us all of these details now concerning the corpse of Jesus. And, and I think one of the things that Luke was probably trying to stress there, one of the, the simple things Luke was highlighting right there was the simple fact that Jesus really did die. A very real death, a very real burial here, a lifeless corpse here. Everyone here knew it. The Romans knew it and released the body. Joseph knew it and buried the body in the tomb. The women knew it and came, brought spices to anoint the body. Jesus was no Wesley here. He was not just mostly dead. He was all dead. People who say that Jesus just fainted on the cross or something like that, they're, they're just going against a load of evidence both biblical and historical evidence. You know, some people also say that Elvis didn't really die. And, and you know, if that's you, you, you still believe that Elvis is alive, I don't want to offend you, so I will say this gently, and I will, I will say this lovingly, you're crazy. <laughs> you're, you're, a, you're a wacko. I love you. But you are a Fruit Loop short of a bull. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> to say that Elvis is still alive is going against a ton of evidence. The magazine, American Funeral Director, actually talked about some of uh, some of the evidence for Elvis's death in an article titled, Elvis Has Really Left the Building. And in that article, here's some of the evidence they point to to say Elvis truly died. Elvis was pronounced dead by several physicians. His body autopsied, actually cut open by a pathologist. His body was prepared for burial by two different morticians. His body was dressed up for the funeral by his wardrobe manager. His body was made up by his personal cosmetologist. His hair was colored black by the famous Larry Geller. His body, viewed by his entire family and many others, and, and then sealed away before their eyes in a seamless copper casket. 
Every last one of those people said that Elvis was dead, and yet some people today, going against all kinds of evidence, still believe that Elvis was not actually dead. Cuckoo. (laughs) And listen, man, to say that Jesus was not actually dead when he was buried is just about as crazy I mean, it really is going against all kinds of evidence, both biblical and historical. Jesus Christ was dead, not mostly, but all dead. Luke wants you to know that here, and why in the world does that matter? Why does it matter? Why would Luke insist? Why would all the other writers insist that Jesus was dead? It matters for lots of reasons. Let me give you just two. Number one, if Jesus didn't truly die on the cross... If Jesus just suffered on the cross and he just fainted and then he later revived in the tomb and walked away, if he didn't truly die on the cross, we cannot be forgiven. The Bible says that we are all sinners, all of us. We all sin every day and it's not just that we commit sin. No, we have this thing called sin living inside of us and it manifests itself in all kinds of different ways. We are sinners And the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages or the payment for our sin is death. Because we are all sinners, we will all die someday. And listen, the really bad news though is that if we die without being forgiven for our sin by God, the Bible says that we will then experience a second death, an eternal death torment in hell but listen the good news is that jesus died all dead all dead not because he deserved to die he didn't people all through this chapter have been saying that jesus was innocent the bible says that jesus was sinless and yet jesus died why he died as our substitute he died in our place Jesus took our sin upon himself and then he took the wages or the payment for our sin which was death. And Jesus died. Died in our place. Died as our substitute in order that every sinner who would then truly repent or turn away from sin and trust in him and follow him and obey him in faith. Jesus died in order that every disciple might be forgiven. He died so that we might have the forgiveness of sins. And man, even though every disciple who is forgiven will still die at the end of this life, because you're forgiven, you won't then experience that second death in hell. But you'll go to an eternal heaven with Christ. In the 2006 massacre of 10 schoolgirls at an Amish school in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, Marion Fisher, a 13-year-old girl who was there, she turned at one point and said to the killer, shoot me and leave the other ones loose. And Jesus did something like that on the cross only infinitely bigger. He said, crucify me and let every believer loose. Let every sinner who trusts in me have eternal life. And if Jesus didn't really die on the cross, if he just fainted on the cross and later revived, we're in trouble. That means that Jesus did not really pay the full price for our sin. And we will have to pay it. Death at the end of this life and an eternal death then in hell. Charles Spurgeon said the death of Jesus on the cross is an essential point. For if Jesus did not die, he has made no atonement for sin. That's number one. Why does it matter? If Jesus didn't die on the cross, we can't be forgiven. And number two, if Jesus didn't die on the cross, we cannot be resurrected. 
You know, the Bible says when a, when a Christian on this earth dies, someone who truly trusts in and follows Christ in faith, that person dies. The Bible says that that person's spirit then goes instantly to be with Jesus in heaven. That person's body then goes into the ground. But the Bible says that that body will someday come back out of the ground. It will come back out of the ground. When Jesus returns to this earth a second and final time, sometime in the future, the body of every single believer who's ever walked the face of this earth will then be resurrected out of the ground. A perfected, glorified body, the Bible says. The spirit of that person will then rejoin that perfected, glorified body, and that person will then live in spirit and in body in, the, in a real, physical, beautiful heaven with Jesus Christ forever. But listen, that future resurrection of the Christian's body after death, it is completely dependent on the resurrection of Jesus' body after his death. Our bodies will someday rise from the dead only because Jesus' body first rose from the dead. If Jesus did not die here, if Jesus just fainted and later revived, then there is no resurrection of the body. There's no resurrection. If Jesus, if Jesus, if you just fainted, later revived, then, then his body was not really rejected, resurrected. And if Jesus was not resurrected, then none of the bodies of Jesus' followers will be resurrected. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised from the dead, our faith is vain. We have no hope after this life. And Paul says there in 1 Corinthians 15 that if our hope in Christ is only in this life, then Paul says that Christians are of all people most miserable. Follow Christ our entire life, go through suffering for Christ, and then there's nothing when you die. And Paul says if there's no resurrection, most miserable. Jesus had to die here all the way dead. And his body then be resurrected from the dead in order for the bodies of Christians to be resurrected from the dead. Forgiveness, resurrection, they are both grounded in the bodily death of Jesus Christ. If Jesus did not die, we cannot be forgiven or resurrected. But the good news that Luke is giving us here is that Jesus Christ did die. And Christians have celebrated his death for 2,000 years. One of the things we're doing in our family devotions now, our kids are learning the Apostles' Creed. It's a brief summary of the things that Christians have believed and celebrated for the past 2,000 years. And one part of the Apostles' Creed, one part of that creed, which Christians have celebrated now for 2,000 years, says that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, dead, and buried. And we celebrate those facts today. His death is the payment for our forgiveness and also the basis for our resurrection. But please listen to me. His death, his death, it counts only for those who truly trust in him. It counts only for his true disciples. The death of Jesus does not benefit at all those who are not truly united to Christ by a living faith. So listen, please, trust in Christ today. Trust in Him today. Don't just say you trust in Christ. Now do it. Put your faith in Christ as your Savior and follow Him as your Master. Read His Word and seek to obey His Word in faith. Follow Jesus all your days as a disciple. Love Jesus. It's a mark of true discipleship that you would love Jesus. Love Jesus. Don't just have a sort of superficial faith in Jesus. You love Him. You believe Jesus loves you and you love Jesus back. And listen, man, if that's you, 
you do trust in Christ, you're a genuine disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then his death counts for you. You are forgiven right now of all of your sin. Every last bit of it, past, present, future sin you'll commit. Forgiven right now because of the death of Jesus. And you also now look forward to the resurrection of your body because of the death of Jesus. Man, how cool is that? That is amazing stuff. And listen, if you are a true disciple of Jesus today, if you truly do love Jesus, you know one thing you will do in your life? It might sound crazy, but you will actually do something very similar to what Joseph and these women here did. If you truly love Jesus, you will care for the body of Jesus. You will care for the body of Jesus. A disciple who truly loves Jesus will demonstrate that love for Jesus by caring for the body of Jesus. And that sounds crazy. Because how in the world can you care for the body of Jesus today, right? Because after he rose from the dead, he ascended back to heaven. His body is gone. Not completely. His body is still here. His body is just in a different form. You know where the body of Jesus is right now? The people of God. The church. The Bible says that Christians are the body of Christ. The spirit of Christ lives in his people. We are the body of Christ. The real flesh and blood body of Christ on earth now. The the people of God are the body of Jesus And if you are a true disciple of Jesus today, if you truly do love Jesus, then just like Joseph and and, and just like these women, you will care for the body of Jesus. You will care for believers in the body of Christ. You will care for believers in this body of Christ. You will love the believers in the body of Christ. You will work for the good of the believers in this body. You will count them as more significant than yourself. You will encourage the believers in the body of Christ. Lay your life down for the believers in the body of Christ. When, 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 when they're naked, you'll clothe them. When they're hungry, you'll feed them. When they're sick, you'll help them. When they're in prison, you will visit them. Matthew 25, Jesus says, As you do it unto the least of these my brothers, as you do it unto the least of these who are my brothers, you do it unto me. You do it unto me. What you do for the body of Christ now is what you're doing for the body of Jesus now. And if you truly do love Jesus, you will seek to care for the body of Jesus. So man, trust in Christ. Come to Christ, let him love you today. That's what it is to be saved. You let Jesus love you You come just as you are and let him love you. You know, the biggest mistake people make is trying to clean themselves up before they come to Christ. That doesn't work. Come just as you are and say, Jesus, help me, love me now. He will. And his love for you will change you. You'll fall in love with him and you'll be able to demonstrate your love for him in the way you love his people, the body of Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word. Just thank you for the riches of your word. Lord God, pray, Father, for your blessings upon your word today. Help us, Lord God, just to believe. We thank you, Father, for the death of Jesus and all the incredible benefits that go with the death of Jesus. Give us faith to believe it, just to come to Jesus as we are, Lord, so that we might receive the incredible love of Jesus. We thank you for it, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen.